The following audio is from Amaze KC. More information about Amaze KC is available online at www.amazekc.com. Uh, but but we, we're excited to start a new year here at church in terms of 2017 and a new year for us at Amaze. What you might not realize this week is our birthday. It's your birthday as a church. On January 4th, 2015, we had our first weekly service. So uh, this week, we are two years old. Some of you, uh, it's, it's kind of hard to believe that we're two years old. You know, you've been with us from the beginning, and it feels like it's been like 35 minutes, uh, but it's been two years. And others of you, you've been with us even longer than two years, because uh, for about a year, we met in homes throughout the city uh, before we ever had our weekly services. But January 4th, 2015, we kicked off in this building. Uh, it was half of the size, if you can imagine that, for the, the sanctuary was on that side of the room, and this was kids' ministry. Uh, so it was just a tiny, tiny little service two years ago. And in those two years, God has just been unbelievably kind and gracious to us. In those two years, we have seen so much as a church that we just don't deserve to see. In those two years, we've seen people whose walk with the Lord was built on a foundation of guilt, on a foundation of shame, who felt like that their role in the Christian faith was one of joylessness, of white-knuckling their way through the Christian faith, kind of putting their head down and just kind of um, charging forward uh, without joy, without love. We've seen them be shaken by the gospel. We've seen them see the reality of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and what it does for joy, what it does for the ability to fight sin. We've seen people who have been stuck in sin for years, falling over and over again to the same idol, finally find freedom to that sin. Find freedom that they destroy the particular sin in their life. We've seen people who who were walking the Christian life alone, who were suffering from actual loneliness, who, who in the Christian life, they didn't have anyone next to them side by side, walking them to the promised land with one another in community. We've seen those people who suffered from loneliness find deep, meaningful relationships with one another and now are walking with the brothers and sisters in the Lord. We've seen a whole host of community groups do life with one another, rejoicing, mourning, living with and loving one another. We've seen a handful of men trained for gospel ministry. And in a day and age where most churches are built by uh, pragmatic, uh, legalistic tendencies, we've seen men who are ferociously serious about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the life, death, and resurrection who will one day, by the grace of God, either plant churches, take over churches, revitalize churches, plant churches overseas. We've seen a handful of men trained here at our church. We have seen a partnership materialize on the other side of the globe that will hopefully lead to a church plant in, nor- in the northeast Italy, northeast pocket of Italy in one of the largest unreached universities university cities in that country. And by the way, if you didn't see my Facebook post, we got some really exciting news on our update from Italy, so be watching for more uh, word about what's happening in Italy. We, we've seen people who were once dead in their sins come alive in faith through Jesus Christ and proclaim their love and faith through him in the waters of baptism in the last two years as well. We've seen a lot of things in the first two years of our lives, and by the grace of God, we are convinced it's just the beginning. This might sound like overhyped or, or, or maybe just a silly thing to say, but Hedger and I are convinced <clears throat> that the third year of our, our church will be the best year we've seen so far. We have exciting dreams and exciting goals for, 
for 2017. Uh, big dreams, to be honest, big goals for 2017. And the reason your pastors are not worried about that, uh, we're, we're not stressed about our big goals and our big dreams because we serve a big God. And we think he'll be faithful, just like he's been faithful the last two years. So then, because it's our anniversary, today we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of a birthday party, and so we're going to take a, a detour from how we normally do things here. Today, I want to walk us through <clears throat> three prayers that the, that the elders have for our third year of ministry. Three prayers for our third year of ministry. This is different from, for us because normally we preach straight through books of the Bible, right? We, we preach in what's called expository manner here. We, we just walk verse by verse through a book of the Bible. We're not going to do that today. And in fact, if I'm not mistaken, today could be our first truly and hopefully our last truly topical sermon. I have three points and three texts. So if you didn't think we were in a Baptist church, now you, now you can see it. Three points, three texts. Uh, I've never done this before, so I just ask for your forgiveness. Uh, I'm normally just sticking to the word and walking straight through, but we thought it was important to kind of cast some vision for our third year of ministry. So three prayers for our third year of ministry that we want to see in 2017. Let's start off by praying. God, you are very good to us, and you are very kind and gracious to us. And each of us in this church, all of us who call Emmaus home, have countless stories of your faithfulness to us as a body. Lord, for all the things I just mentioned, to thousands and thousands of more points of providence that you have shown your grace in the two years of life that we've got to live, you're good. And for those two years, we thank you. For those two years, we recognize that you are God and we are not. You are in control and we are not, and we're glad about that. And in, in our third year, Lord, we ask that you just continue uh, your, your providence over our church, that, that you would continue to lead us and you would continue to shift your thousand gears of grace and that we would continue to see the gospel go forward, that the gospel will be declared and the gospel will be displayed in our church. We would ask for that type of grace in 2017 in our third year of ministry. More than all of that, Lord, we ask in our third year of ministry that you would be glorified, that you would delight in what we do, and that it would bring fame to your name. We love you, and it's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. So if you're a note taker, this is going to be an easy sermon to take notes on because of the, the, the pointed way that it will go. So prayer one of our three points. Prayer one, we pray that Emmaus would press into and treasure the gospel even deeper than we have in our first two years. We pray that Emmaus would press into and treasure the gospel even deeper than we have in our first two years. At this church, we just about more than anything else, we want to be a gospel people. That's what we want. We want the gospel to be at the forefront of everything that we do. We want to be a place where the gospel is the center, it is the thing we're revolving around. So turn to 1 Corinthians 15 with me. That's going to be our first text. Just so, just so you know, you can, you can flip there. 1 Corinthians 15 will be our first text. Psalm 16 will be our second text. And 2 Corinthians 5 will be our third text. 1 Corinthians 15, <clears throat> verse 3. This is Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, 
that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and all of the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely board, he also, he also appeared to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I was a persecutor of the church of God. So 1 Corinthians 15, don't don't miss what Paul does here. Look at verse 3 again. For I delivered to you, this is again, this is Paul, I, delivered to you, the church at Corinth, as of first importance what I also received. Okay, so you know at that moment in the text, what's coming next is vital. Because what we have here is though he demeans himself and calls himself unworthy to be called an apostle, we actually see that he's called a super apostle in the text. And he's the one who writes about two-thirds of our New Testament. So the guy who writes about two-thirds of the New Testament just said, I'm about to tell you the most important thing that I've received. And here's what he says. I've delivered to you as of first importance what I've also, what I've also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul says the most important thing that he is delivering to the church at Corinth first is nothing other than the gospel, the death and resurrection of a murdered son on behalf of the sins of his church. It's the gospel. It's the gospel that Paul says is of first importance. And so it is with us. What is of first importance for our church is the gospel. We, we, we say it all the time, we have no gimmicks, we have the gospel. That, that is actually what we're built off of. We don't think we need uh, fancy laser lights or comfy seats or anything like that. We think we need the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and we can actually be satisfied in that news. What we have is the gospel. Uh, we say it frequently as well, we're a church of one sermon, the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have chosen as a church to know nothing but Jesus and him crucified. And for that, I could not be more thankful. So so you might be surprised to see this as prayer number one for 2017, because since, in my opinion, this is our strong point as a church. I think gospel centrality is one of our strong points. Uh, We have been a gospel people. But when it comes to the reality of the importance of the gospel, we can never let ourselves become complacent. When it comes to our own amazement and our wonder of the gospel, we can never become complacent. So then, for 2017, we are praying and we ask you to pray. I hope this isn't just a sermon that you hear and say, oh, those are good ideas, but I'm actually asking you, write these things down. Whatever it takes to remind yourself to pray for them, do it. Set alarms on your phone, write them on your bathroom mirror, get them tattooed on your forehead, whatever you have to do, write them down and be praying with us in 2017 that we would see these three realities. So in 2017, we are praying that we would be a people who push even deeper into the gospel. We pray that in 2017, this would be a year that Emmaus loses itself in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This reality, the, the reality of this prayer is that if this one is answered, the other two will be answered as well. So I hope to see our community groups, our preaching, our children's ministry, our discipleship, our missions, our evangelism, our marriages, our friendships, our coffee making, our door opening, and everything in between be engulfed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We have people in our church who go to bed at night wondering if they are truly Christians, sick to their stomachs over the thought that they might actually not be in the flock of God. 
worrying that the sin of their past or the doubt of their present would exclude them from being found in Jesus Christ. I hope the gospel in 2017 wrecks the misery of insecurity that many of you all feel. That for those of us in the church who struggle with insecurity, the gospel would wreck it. It would strangle it and relieve us of insecurity. I pray that the gospel becomes the sure foundation that gives us hope and confidence that when we go to bed at night, we will wake up the next morning Christians just like when we went to bed. That, that by the preserving power of Jesus, we have nothing to, to, to fret, that we are not uh, coming to God as an unwanted stepchild, but we are coming to God as a loved and redeemed child. I hope the gospel kills insecurity in 2017. We have people in our church who are tight-lipped when it comes to sharing the life-altering news of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. They're petrified. We are petrified that we will say something wrong, sound weird, be ostracized, whatever it may be. We're petrified of actually sharing the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I pray that in 2017, the gospel will crush whatever reason we have conjured up within ourselves in 2016 not to share the gospel. I pray that our weak need, tight-lipped, fearful souls in regards to evangelism, which, by the way, that weak need, tight-lipped, fearful soul is damning to those around you who are not hearing the gospel. That we would be strengthened and lifted by the constant stream of the gospel that's getting injected into our lives. That there are people in our church who are still gazing at themselves, thinking that in them there is something, some reason to boast. Even if their words sound humble, they think there is some praiseworthy aspect about them, about who they are, whether it be their prayer life, their work ethic, their theology, their preaching, their parenting, or a whole host of other items. They are tempted to hold these things up before their fellow man for praise and to hold these things up before their God for justification. These are idols. And I pray that in 2017, in our third year of ministry, the gospel would crush our idols. That the Lord would use the gospel to dethrone our idols and to chisel into the fiber of our being that our only boast is Jesus Christ. His person and work are all that we are holding on to as a church because he is our all in all. There are countless examples of other ways that while being a gospel people for the last two years, Emmaus is consistently running away from the gospel. Yet my prayer, and I ask you to make it yours, is that in our third year of ministry, God would use the gospel as a light to expose the areas of our lives where it hasn't sunken in. The gospel hasn't sunken in. And like a gracious surgeon, he would remove those areas from our life and replace them with the news of the life, death, and resurrected, murdered son, Jesus Christ. Prayer number two. Prayer number two. We pray that Emmaus would go after a furiously gospel-driven pursuit of holiness in which sin is killed and the joy of freedom is obtained. We pray that Emmaus would go after a furiously gospel-driven pursuit of holiness in which sin is killed and the joy of freedom is obtained. Turn with me to Psalm 16. Psalm 16. This is one of my favorite psalms in the entire collection, and and if you're into Bible memorization, which I would recommend you being into that kind of thing, I would recommend this one to memorize. Psalm 16, let's read it. 
Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I shall not pour out, or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen in pleasant places. The lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So I said this is one of my favorite psalms in the entire collection, and it's one that I have to frequently repeat to myself. Look at verse 4. Look at verse 4 with me again. The author says that the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. He says, their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. David is saying here that those who are running after idols, that they are chasing things that aren't God in the place of God. And now I'm sure in the room, right, uh, allow me some transparency. I'm sure in the room that, that there are those of you who are like me and that though you have an unbelievably unfathomable amount of grace in your life, you're tempted to look at the wicked and be jealous. Right, take me for example. I have, by the grace of God, an unbelievably great marriage. I have a wonderful church in you all that I get to come to every week and live life with and among every week. And I have my salvation that I know cannot be shaken because of the preserving power and love of Jesus Christ. In those three things, I have more grace than I could ever fully comprehend in an infinite number of lifetimes. And yet I'm tempted. I feel the sin in this. I'm tempted to look at those who don't know Christ and be jealous of them. I'm tempted to look at whatever they're going after, money, pleasure, sexuality, fame, prestige, security, whatever it may be, I'm tempted. A man who has a beautiful wife, a great marriage, a great church, and salvation, and be jealous of something they have. I'm tempted to covet the wicked. But hear me, as they're running after those things, those things that you and I might be tempted to say, man, why are the wicked prospering? Why is that happening for them and not happening for me? When we're tempted to look at the things they're getting, know that the things they're running after are the multiplication of their own sorrow. They're chasing idols, which will be the multiplication of their own sorrow. Yet for us, beloved, look at the next verse. Don't covet the wicked, for their lot is sorrow. And look at verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel. And in the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand and I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let, my, let your Holy One see 
corruption. Then look what he says in verse 11. If you can't memorize the whole psalm, memorize this. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So here's my second prayer for us. In our third year of the church, that our wicked ways would be exposed. That's what I'm praying. I'm praying that we would see our vain and idolatrous endeavors as not only wicked, but joy-draining. That we would see our sin for what it really is, fleeting happiness, when at the right hand of God is pleasure forevermore. So in 2017 and in our third year of ministry, I am praying for all of you and for myself, freedom for sin. I am praying that those of you who have secret sin that you've been hiding for years, whether you want it to or not, it would come to light. I am praying for for those of you who feel like you'll never have victory over that one sin that keeps biting you over and over, the one that you keep happening to repent of, that one. I'm praying that you will find victory over that, that that sin would be strangled and murdered out of your life. I'm praying for you to mortify your sin, not just tame it so others don't see it, but actually murder it leaving no hold over your life whatsoever. I'm praying for grace-driven effort, not not the type of effort where we're striving for holiness so we can look right and good in front of our brothers or be puffed up before God, but because of grace, because of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us, we're motivated to become the thing he's already made us by his blood, which is holy. Understand that. In the gospel, we've already won the war. Right? If you believe in Jesus and you have faith in him, that means you're united to him in such a way that when the father looks at you, he sees the son. And so Jesus' righteousness is accredited to you and your wickedness is accredited to Jesus. So in Christ, you already have a perfect, hear me, perfect and utterly sufficient righteousness. So the gospel instructs you, you already have that. But yet we know we're still practically wicked, right? Positionally righteous, practically wicked. So my prayer for us in 2017 is that we would become what Jesus has already made us to be, which is holy. The war is already won. We have to claim our inheritance. We have to kill our sin and claim the holiness that is already achieved on our behalf. That's grace-driven effort. I'm praying this because I know what's at stake. Holiness has an uncountable number of blessings attached to it, yet one of them that doesn't get talked about enough is joy. Joy. Hear what the psalmist says. Listen to what David says. The lines have fallen in pleasant places for us. Pleasant places. Not joyless ones or ones that suck out happiness. The lines for Christians have fallen in pleasant places. We have Jesus. He has won the battle for our holiness by making us utterly holy by his obedience. So we strive to be what he has made us. Because joy is at stake. One more time, look at verse 11. You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And so when you're tempted to seek the joy somewhere else, when you're tempted in 2017, when you're tempted in your third year at Emmaus, in our third year of ministry, when you're tempted to find your joy, your, your fleeting moments of happiness in whatever sin that you have kept hidden and whatever sin that you haven't confessed to your group and whatever sin that you haven't told your spouse about, whatever that may be, may you realize in that presence of that sin, you're only multiplying your sorrow and joy will be found in none other than the presence of the Lord. 
Bring your sin to light. Repent of it. Turn away from it. Murder it. That's what we're hoping for in 2017, that we would become a holy people. Prayer number three. We pray that Emmaus would feel the urgency and need for evangelism and sharing the gospel in a more intense way than we have during our first two years. That year three would be marked by those who are strangers to the gospel, hearing about its beauty and wonder. Prayer number three. We pray that Emmaus would feel the urgency and need for evangelism and sharing the gospel in a more intense way than we have during our first two years. That year three would be marked by those who are strangers of the gospel, hearing about its beauty and wonder. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5 with me. 2 Corinthians 5. You there? No one. All right, we'll read it anyway. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. We're going to go from, I'm sorry, verses 16 to 21. From now on, therefore, again, this is Paul to the church at Corinth in his second letter. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Verse 18. And all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Paul is talking about uh, how that he he would view another person, right, in his flesh. And he says that they won't regard other people according to the flesh because they no longer regard Christ according to the flesh. So Paul is saying, in my redeemed body, I will not regard anyone else as, as, as according to the flesh, but he will regard them as according to the Spirit. Then he goes on to say, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. This is another another text to go back to what we were just talking about. The old is dead and the new has come. Paul says, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And he says this, and this is where I want you to focus in. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. The gospel, through Christ, has reconciled us to himself. We offended the holiness of God in our transgression. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were found in our grave clothes, uh, six feet under spiritually, in a helpless estate. Yet, God reconciled us to himself through Christ. But it doesn't stop there. He gives us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul goes on to explain. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. 
Our, our final prayer for the third year of ministry is that those who call Emmaus home would feel the glorious weight of our call to be minister, ministers of reconciliation. We are praying that through our third year of ministry, that, that our, our time together would be marked by the gospel going out to those who don't know it. We are praying that our third year is marked by those of us who are far away from Jesus, drawing near to him. We are praying that our third year of ministry is marked by, if I could be totally frank, more conversions than we've seen, more baptisms than we've seen. And we're praying that our third year is marked by the gospel going forward from the people of Emmaus. Yet we don't want to see the gospel go forward because of our guilt or because it's on a prayer list that I gave today. We want to see the gospel go forward because we as a church are truly overwhelmed by the gospel. And therefore we will make the gospel our message and our method. We've said it before that guilt and fear are great motivators to get you to the mission field, but they're lousy motivators to keep you there and a white-hot zeal for the glory of God and an overwhelmed spirit about the gospel will keep you there, whether it be overseas, around the world, or in your backyard. The gospel will keep you on mission. And I hope you can see that reality in this passage in 2 Corinthians. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We have become reconciled to reconcile. The text goes on to say that Paul says that he implores you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. That's what we want our third year to be marked by. Men and women of Emmaus Church so in tune with what Christ has done that in them, that that for them, we would be reconciled, that because we've been reconciled to himself, that though we don't deserve it, that we would implore others to be reconciled. That, That from a whole host of emotions, love and agony and fear and trembling and from all host of emotions that we would actually implore people, like, like implore people to be reconciled to God. That, that we would see our neighbors who don't love Jesus as something more severe than, than, than a project, as something more severe than an unfortunate circumstance of someone who isn't a Christian. That we would actually see them for what the text has told us they are. Those who are unreconciled, who are running after idols, multiplying their sorrow when their prize and portion should be Jesus Christ. So we implore our neighbors to be reconciled to God. And we do so because we've tasted the beauty of what it means to be reconciled through the blood of Jesus Christ. To be frank, church, we haven't been good enough at evangelism. We haven't. We said that in our Philippians series, and it's still true today. We haven't. So we, as a church, need to repent of whatever reason is keeping us from sharing the gospel. We want to be better in our third year of ministry than we were in our second and our first at sharing the gospel. This isn't going to happen by just a few of us getting passionate about evangelism and missions missions, and sharing the gospel and the rest of the church riding their faithful coattails. It's going to happen by us as a church corporately being overwhelmed by the grace of Jesus, getting over whatever reason we've come up with for not sharing and imploring others to be reconciled to Jesus. I'm praying that we can celebrate in the waters of baptism frequently in our third year of ministry. That's what we're praying for. And we're praying that it would become from an overwhelmed spirit in the gospel, that you would have such a stream of the gospel being put into you, it can't help but to come out of you. So then, our three prayers. 
We pray that Emmaus would press into, into and treasure the gospel even deeper than we already have. We are praying that Emmaus would pursue a furiously gospel-driven pursuit of holiness in which sin is killed and the joy of freedom is obtained. We are praying that Emmaus would feel the urgency and need for evangelism and sharing the gospel in a more intense way than we have during our first two years. That year through be marked by those who are strangers of the gospel hearing about its beauty and wonder. These are the three things that Josh and I are praying for that we would see in 2017. And again, I'm actually begging you to pray these things with us. We, we, we believe this unbelievably strange thing at, at this church, that God is sovereign and in control. And if that's the case, he is the one who's going to grant us the grace to see these three things come to life. And so we must have our shadows on his doorstep banging to be heard for these realities. So go to him in petition for these three things for us. Praise him for what he's done in our first two years and petition him to allow these three things to be realities for us in our third year. Whatever it takes to remind yourself to pray these things for yourself, for your families, and for your brothers and sisters at Emmaus Church. And so therefore then, I think that the only appropriate way for, for me to end this sermon is to actually pray for these things. I want to start our year, January 1, 2017, and actually pray for these three things. So, so we're going to take a little bit of an extended time in prayer, and uh, I'm, I'm going to pray for these things. I'm going to give you about 10, 15, 30 seconds to pray in your head quickly for these things, and then I'll pray for each one of them. So, so would you join me? Let's pray for the first one. Take 30 seconds to a minute to pray that we as a people would press into and treasure the gospel even deeper than we already have. God, I beg you that in our third year of ministry, that we could see the gospel for what it truly is, our only hope, our only boast, our only chance at righteousness, our only chance at a right relationship with you, our only chance at true joy, our only chance to receive the prize of our life, Jesus Christ. And so because of that, Lord, let us be animated to press into the gospel. But let it become the end-all, be-all of who we are. Your glory in the gospel. May our desperation and the sin of our wickedness be felt in the deepest fiber of our being, but also let the joy and freedom of reconciliation that is the news of the gospel be felt in the fiber of our being. In our marriages, in our workplaces, in our schooling, and our waking up and our going to sleep, may you press the gospel into the deepest places of our lives. May we be a people who are totally satisfied and knowing nothing but Christ and Him crucified. May we be a people who, who that is our, our only hope and our only boast, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Prayer number two. Pray for a minute that Emmaus, we as a church, would pursue a furious gospel-driven pursuit of holiness, that in our third year of ministry, we would seek sin killed and be replaced by the joy of the presence of the Lord.
Lord, we confess as we gather in this room today, by your grace, we are gathering as a room full of broken and wicked and incomplete people. That, that, that represented in this room, represented even on this stage alone, is an unbelievable amount of brokenness. We, we carry baggage. We have hidden sin. We, we, we treasure our image more than the freedom. So, so, so instead of repenting, we keep it hidden. Lord, we have years and years of baggage that we have struggled to get over and haven't won. We have sins that are now habits. We have sins that are ingrained into our way of life. As your redeemed people, we still have this. And so God, I'm praying that you be the the, the great physician that you are and you heal our sickness. May, May we actually treasure freedom from sin more than our own image and repent. May we actually enjoy the freedom from sin more than any any fleeting pleasure that that our sin could give us and bring it to light and kill it. May you expose sin that we don't even know we have. And may 2017, our third year as a church, by your grace, be marked as a year in which Emmaus found freedom from its sin. That we would mortify it that you would untangle us from it, and that we would actually experience and believe and truly taste that at your right hand are pleasures forevermore, that in your presence is the fullness of joy, not in the presence of idols which multiply our sorrow, but with you is joy and pleasure. May you grant that to us this year. And then our third prayer. Pray that we as a people of this church would feel the urgency and need for evangelism. That that we couldn't help it. That the the, the gospel would be a, a fire in our bones that has to come out. It has to. That those around us who don't know the gospel would feel and see the beauty of it because we shared it. Would you pray that for our church? That we would share the gospel in our third year of ministry. God, we realize that you know everything. We acknowledge that. You know everything. And and therefore, you know whatever pitiful reason that we've conjured up to not share the gospel with the lost. Lord, would you destroy those reasons in our heart and in our mind? But would you destroy whatever reason we've come up with to to not share the life-altering news of your son? Get it away from us. And, and we pray for the, to be the type of people who are marked by the inability to not share the gospel. Whether it be to our neighbors, our friends, our families, those in Italy, those in, in every country, those anywhere around the world, but may be marked by the thought of them running after other idols as such an intolerable thought that we couldn't help but to share the gospel. Lord, we repent as a church of being tight-lipped with the greatest news the world's ever known. 
We want to turn from it, and we need your grace in doing so. Put a fire in our belly, a zeal in our bones. Rid our excuses, rid our insecurities, and let us open our mouths and share the gospel this year. For your glory, and every time we do it, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Amaze KC, located in Kansas City. For more information about Amaze KC, please visit us online at www.amazekc.com.